When I'm thinking about stability and I talk to leaders, I tell them it's, it's an illusion. So although people are viewing stability, your own internal process is managing the moving ground. So you're trying to move and walk on pieces that are moving at all times, but the illusion that you're giving is stability. And that's created through having a solid foundation and structure to how you do anything. So vibe is how we create that foundation and structure so that although things around you are always moving, like in every organization that has ever existed, you, you are able to provide that stable environment for your team. Burnout is so prevalent in our workplaces. Sad to say, I've experienced one myself. And when I met Chrissy Martinez, our next guest, we certainly found a shared commitment to helping other people avoid burnout. I'm really excited to have her on our show because she brings this incredible combination of uh, a few decades of experience as a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she also does work in the leadership world, working with corporations. She took this desire to help people avoid burnout for herself and also for the well-being of others and really wanting to help leaders create places of healing. And that drove her to set up, be the founder and CEO of PAX Therapy and Family Services. It's a multi-million dollar mental health corporation in California. Chrissy has created a unique leadership methodology, and we're going to talk about that today. It's rooted in her expertise in systems and existential theories, and she really wants to help other leaders find this vibe. That's what the program is all about, V-I-B-E. You're going to hear Chrissy and I talk about V-I-B-E, how you can use it, how you can bring it into your leadership style. So without further ado, let's get into that conversation and vibe. Hello, Evolve listeners and watchers. We're on our video now. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today's guest is coming to us from the West Coast in sunny California. Welcome, Chrissy Martinez. Hi, thank you, Carolyn. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me on your podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on today because I feel like we have similar, a similar passion, similar motivation. We've kind of come at it from different angles. I always joke that I was a wannabe psychologist in a business environment, and you've kind of done the opposite way, haven't you? I have. I, I've, I've decided that I wanted to take the therapy room into our corporate organizations, especially healthcare organizations, but yeah. Yeah, and and why was that? Like, why did you, I mean, you had a successful psychotherapy practice and what inspired you or what drove you to get into, you know, this big experiment in the corporate world? I think first was my own experience in working in other organizations and realizing how their systems and what they were doing impacted me as a person more than just me as an employee. And secondly, seeing my own organization and knowing and recognizing the things that we do that also impact our employees, 
not just on their on a professional level, but on their own personal level and how really those two things interact with each other. Right. And so you you had like a big or have a big sort of group of psychotherapists that you work with, correct? I do. Yes. Yeah. So really like thrust into a leadership role, not just practicing with the clients, but also leading. Yes. <laughs> and what were some of the what were some of the biggest challenges or things that were hard to do but easy to talk about from a leadership perspective? I think hard to do is we I talk a lot about boundaries and boundaries I say are multi-directional where you can place a boundary but you also have to maintain it you have to make sure you follow through on on what the boundary is but also the boundaries that are coming at you you have to manage mm-hmm. and decide like is this something that I am okay with something that I'm not okay with and that sounds easy to say and talk about Yep. But as anybody who's ever told somebody no, <laughs> you know, it's really not that easy to deal with the aftermath of saying no. So I'm curious why it's harder to have boundaries, live within boundaries as a leader than it is as like a human being or a psychotherapist. Oof. I think it comes down to individuals. Okay. But As a leader, the same relationship patterns that you have outside of work are triggered inside of work. Mm. So those same patterns start to emerge. And if you're codependent outside of work, you're going to be codependent as a leader at work. So you're going to be far more likely to be be walked on, try and solve other people's problems, try to be everything to everyone. Right. is like leadership death. I mean, you'll dig your own grave doing that. So can we define what codependent means? Because we're, we're going to be out of the psychotherapy office right now in the business <laughs> yeah. world. That's not a term that gets thrown around. What does codependent mean in a like business perspective? Uh, for me, I always describe codependency as if, if you're sacrificing yourself, your health, wealth, well-being for the good uh, or what you think is the good of somebody else you're most likely in a codependent relationship yeah so it's although it's nice to sacrifice but if you feel like you have to sacrifice in order to keep something or somebody happy or in your life that's codependency right so it's almost like codependent with the organization as opposed to a human like when i think of codependency i think of like two people in a relationship And when you just talked about some of those behaviors that can be demonstrated when we're codependent at work, I almost hear like codependent with an organization or with more than one person. Well, I would say that if you have a pattern of codependency, you are going to exhibit it in every relationship So if you're, let's say at work, you're automatically thrust into these these relationships, you're going to be codependent in all of them, just like you would be outside of work. So it could be multiple relationships or with one relationship. Like, yeah, you could envision the organization itself as one relationship, and I could sacrifice everything for this organization and the relationship that it stands for internally for me. Right, right. So 
codependency boundaries, one big thing I'm hearing you say is sort of who you are at home is who you are at work. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I do workshops, I often get the question, well, am I talking about myself at home or at work? I'm like, is there really a difference? So I think there's an interesting insight there, right? For people to understand. We'd like there to be a difference and sure. Okay, at work, I might not talk about certain subjects and I might keep that on the side, but the behavioral patterns cannot be avoided. Like the person you are at home and the things you do at home and the patterns you have there are always the same as at work. Sure, you might not be talking about religion and and politics at work, but you are definitely the same person whether you think you are or not. Right, right. Now, I know that you based, or you created a program, I believe it was in 19, or 19, well, that was a while ago, just show my age, (laughs) in 2019, and it's, it's based on, it's called the Core Leadership Vibe Program. Did I get that name correct? Yeah, I work with leaders on creating their their vibe. So I help them become stable leaders, okay. establishing their values, identity, boundaries, and experience, which is that's the acronym for vibe. Yes, that's every line. If you miss that, yeah, <laughs> which is their actual experience or just the existential like meaning of their experience. So yeah, yeah. Now I love a word that you just said there, stable you know, because you're a psychotherapist, you and I both know the importance of safety and consistency. So I love that word stable. And how do you like, how do you introduce that concept of concept of stability or safety and consistency when you bring this work into leaders? When I'm thinking about stability, and I talk to leaders, I tell them it's, it's an illusion. So although people are viewing stability, your own internal process is managing the moving ground. So you're trying to move and walk on pieces that are moving at all times, but the illusion that you're giving is stability. And that's created through having a solid foundation and structure to how you do anything. So vibe is how we create that foundation and structure so that although things around you are always moving, like in every organization that has ever existed, yep. you, you are able to provide that stable environment for your team. So oh, cool. for leaders, you really have to become the stability and the safety for the team. And sometimes you have to face your own your own problems, your own demons, as they say. Yeah, well, sometimes I, I'm gonna say, I will go out and say it. If you want to be a really good leader, you have to face them at least a little bit. Most days. Yeah. (laughs) Now, when you said stability, I like was picturing jumping from ice, like a a little floaty ice, little ice patch and kind of like jumping from ice patch to ice patch. I'm sure there's a more technical term. And and so, you know, that's in itself kind of precarious because you can fall into the water. It could get warmer and so the ice can melt and i think that's a good analogy for the uncertainty and unpredictability that leaders and organizations face like kind of having that agility to jump onto another floaty yeah being able to keep yourself in a calm enough state where you can see the next step Mm. because sometimes stability is is you see the long term but in that long term, you also have to be able to see 
right in front of you. And okay, I'm on this ice patch. I have to get to that that one, you know, before we can get to the large green space off in the distance. Wow. And so when when organizations call you up and say, hey, Chrissy, we need you to come in. We need your your company to come in. What kind of problems are they trying to solve? How do they articulate it to you? It is a wide spectrum of problems from how do we design a leadership program that helps new leaders stop relying on us so much. So Mm. there's definitely a lot of organizational organizations struggling with staff who don't feel independent enough to make decisions. And that's definitely a deep rooted systemic problem because that's probably because they don't feel like they have the safety to make those decisions. Right. So it it becomes much more than what? Well, sure we could make that program, but why are they coming? Why are they having that problem in the first place? Like usually when you're a leader, you, you assume that you have some decision-making capacity, right? Another area that we get people requesting help is how do how do you take we 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 see the systemic problem with staff with toxic culture on a team but we can't get our upper level or the next level up to recognize it as a problem Right. So a lot of that comes in, well, how do we package the problem? How do you work within the system? Because you, you can't act like an outsider to a system, right? If you think about your body, if you, you become the virus, the body is going to fight the virus. Right. So you don't want to come in as a foreign entity telling it what, that there's something wrong because it's going to fight you off. So it's, it's about how do you restructure this within the system to make sure that it gets into the virus itself, <laughs> you know, like so, how we package this as a vaccine. Yeah. Oh, the inner uh, student in me with, uh, is excited to hear more about that. So can you give us an example of how not to be a virus or like just to bring that example to life, like how you go in and work with an organization to help them identify that problem? So usually this, when this is happening, it's a new I'll call them a, like a director level. They're coming in and they're like, oh my God, there are problems and we need to talk about the problems. And I'm like, that's great. You've been here how long? And how are they going to look at you? So learn, I, I, we talk about learning the language okay. of the system. How do they see the problem? How can you start to slowly communicate what the problem is in the language that the system is speaking? Okay. So is it healthcare lingo? Is it like, what, what are, are they focused on client care? And this is not a client care issue. How, how is this problem a client care issue then? And how can you get the system that's focused on client care to hear this staff problem? You have to make it that it's a client care issue. Well, this staff right. problem, it really is a client care issue, but you need to be able to communicate how it's a client care issue in order for the system to even give it some attention. Hmm. So, a lot of it's around how do we package this problem? And really, you're seeing the problem, but you got to get really detailed about how does this uh, this really affect the goals of the organization? So why do leaders, companies need to call in people like you and I to help them unpack and like fix what they already know is broken? Blind spots. I think when you're going through it, it's a whole lot harder to see what the actual problem is. And sometimes you think you're being really 
introspective as a self or as an organization when in reality you're missing something right. because you're not viewing it from an outsider's perspective. You're, you're seeing it as somebody who ha is too closely tied to the emotionally tied, I think, to the, to the actual problem. So can you put your psychotherapy hat on for a second? All right. And I know that your work really focuses on helping people to see who they are and then helping them to understand how others see them. How, how do these blind spots, like, how do we get through these blind spots? Because it's not a matter of if they exist, the best leaders out there have these, these spots that they can't see and that they can't just sort of push through. So what's going on? That's what I want to know. What is going on for us when this happens, when these blind spots get in our way from a psychotherapy lens? Yeah. Well, first, I think a lot of people think it's a linear process. It's like, I'm going to go from not knowing to knowing versus this is really a circular process of knowing and then unknowing and then re-knowing mm. and then re-knowing some more. Right. So it's this process of, I see myself as I am or getting to that point where you can see yourself as you believe yourself to be. And then how do I reconcile the fact that these other people see me in different ways. And how do I bridge that gap? That gap either has to be bridged in changing parts of who I am and how I behave to fit the mold of how other people are seeing me more consistently, or from convincing other people that I really am who I say that I am. And doing that over and over until we have a really consistent, congruent identity. And it's just a recursive process. It's just over and over and over again. And I think sometimes leaders think there's an end point, but no, unfortunately, this is just an ongoing <laughs> process. Yeah, because you, like, I love how you said that it's circular, because just when we think we've got it figured out, there's going to be some other dynamic in the environment that's going to change it a little bit. Yep. Wow. All, always. And so Vibe helps address that, like, you know, the values identity. Can you tell us a little bit more about how those four elements of Vibe help that process that you just described? Well, I always say that problem solving leadership, which I think is really advanced problem solving, it has to come from the bottom up. It's foundational. You have to have the structures in place in order to be able to even climb the, to the building, right? So vibe is really values how is how are you going to do this? Like how am I going to deliver whatever package I have in a way that's consistent with who I am? Identity is my flaws. It's in that process of introspection, which is also always changing. Well, I don't believe anybody's like completely stagnant, right? Yeah. Always changing. So identity, who I am, how do I relate? How do I what are the areas I don't relate to people? Where are my flaws? And then boundaries is managing that multi-directional relationship of what's okay and what's not okay to enter your space. And what are the consequences when people violate those boundaries? And how do, are we going to deal with boundaries of other people? So if, if somebody puts a boundary on me that I'm not okay with, how am I going to deal with that? Right. If I am going to comply, how am I going to deal with that? And then experiences are the stories we tell ourselves. Mm. It's, our, it's our story, it's our history, it's where we, it's the story of where we've come from and right. from that point where we're going. So 
And those things are having those form the foundation of how you make decisions. From there, you start looking at, okay, well, what's the, this problem with staff, the staff member? Okay, well, what do your values say? How would you normally do this? What are your flaws that might contribute to this situation? What are the things that you're good at that can contribute to this situation? Do you have any boundaries? Is this person trying to set boundaries with you? And then what does your experience tell you? Wow. And, and so is there like a breakthrough or an aha that you find people have on this journey like when they start it with you and something that really lands for them and it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. I think a big part is the realizing that there is no final destination. Mm. This, is, that, this is a process. And if you don't like this process, then you will not like, you, you will not like leadership. Right. And that a lot of this growth, you have to, learning to love the process of growing, really growing yourself as a person. And that also the realization that who I am is one of the biggest indicators of what happens in the workplace. I love what you said there, learning to love the process. It's hard to love the process right now, isn't it? It is. <laughs> There's a lot going on for people. There is. In, in therapy, we talk about uh, process versus content. So you always have the details of anything going on, the drama, the, the words being said, but we always want to look at what's the process? What's, what's the underlying root of it? What's the map? What's it telling us? What's, what's the pattern telling us? That the content doesn't matter so much, but it's really about, well, how are, how, what does the movement look like and how, how are people progressing through it? And I'm guessing, so I'm going to make a hypothesis, but is age and experience directly related to how much somebody can immerse themselves in the process and love the process or are they independent? I haven't noticed a, a significant age difference. I think there's more initial openness to the process with younger generations than older generations. And that could just be because they're not looking, also the older you are, the less you are looking to grow right. in your career professionally, or even really in life, right? Like you're entering a new developmental phase. So yeah, less interested in growth overall, probably. Yeah, I mean, I know I hear lots of banter about generational differences. And in my experience, something similar to yours, although from a different lens, is at the end of the day, people just want to be seen and heard. And they really want to know who they are deep down. It's just how much experience do we have that have have made us be more rigid. And the older you are, the more experience or the more sort of garbage you have around you that kind of gets you stuck. Yeah. It, and it's really, really looking to the wisdom of older generations who oftentimes we ignore them like, ah, you're jaded, you're yeah. skeptic, you're really, we, ha we often have to also listen to the wisdom that they have on hey, like you're going to get burned if you do that. Yep. And we have to remember like, it's because they've been burned like they have. And, and, and also how do we integrate the experiences of other people into our own experience? And how does that inform us as we move forward through a process? So when you think of some of the most 
empowering, functional teams or cultures that you've worked within. What, how do they use Vibe? How are they like integrating it into who they are as an organization? Organizations that have been really successful with it really look to empower individuals to form independent relationships with their teams because from the top down, those relationships are being established. So that relational, what you do matters, what I do matters, that sentiment being present has seems to be where the most welfaring organizations lie. Just everybody is in this process of let's get better, let's do better, let's use this information. What percentage of organizations, maybe that's not a fair question to ask, but is that happening in more than 50% of your of the organizations? <laughs> no? <laughs> do, you have, do you have hope that we'll get there? One day. Yeah. I I'm think with that you. what happens is that the larger they become, like the larger any organization becomes, the yeah. more difficult to remain relational it is. Like at some point it seems like organizations get trapped by spreadsheets and numbers and forget that they're actually people involved. Yep. And that the most important thing in people's lives is not the organization. Yep. And the more that we look for feedback internally inside of our, our, our organizations, the more we're going to create these very top heavy systems that topple under stress. I mean, healthcare is the prime example when mm -hmm. it came under stress, like we've seen it topple and we have not seen a recovery for healthcare workers. They are burnt out and turning over at rates higher than we saw during the pandemic. Yeah. So we have to look, I think, for uh, to create these feedback loops that are not just internal. It's not just numbers, it's employees. Are they happy? Do they feel like they're connected with their families? Are they able to engage in, you know, their, the groups that they're involved in, in their religious organizations? Um, are they participating in meaningful work? Are they able to do ethical work? Things that they're passionate about? Yeah. Or are they being asked to do things that are beyond their scope? Or So I think it, it, it's, it's loaded. It is. It is. And, you know, when you've got these, again, different generational expectations are a part of it, our own awareness. You know, once you make it to a certain level in the organization, there's some power and privilege that comes with that. And in my experience, it takes a very unique individual to want to, and courageous individual, to want to unpack that and learn more about themselves, even when they are holding all of this power and privilege. What's your experience been with that? Yeah, it takes a lot to want to rock the boat because like you said, power and priv privilege also feels like stability. Okay, well now I'm a part of the group and the ground is not moving. And that's nice, but the ground should be moving. Like it really, if we're making change, well, the ground should be moving. We should be walking. And right. if we're feeling like that calm sense of like, it's all good. I don't know. I question that. I would. It, it is, and it's a difficult place to, sh to get people to be more open to ideas because they're very happy in that 
in that place of stability and, and the stability and the shield that the organization has provided them. Well, and yes, and stability is going to look a lot different when you are in the upper echelons of management because you know more information. We're back to, you know, knowledge being power. And I think this shows up, especially when we hear of certain back to work mandates, you know, veiled in the guise of, well, it's collaboration. And is it really collaboration? Or is it, I can't see you. I'm used to being able to see you. I don't know how to use power any other way than to tell people what to do. And then the divide between employees and employer or employees and like senior management just continues to widen. The transparency, I think that's where transparency comes into play and that if you don't have transparency from top down, you'll run into more of these power struggles and people attempting to protect their own power because there's no transparency from the top down. I, I know lots of organizations who are calling people back to work because revenue is at an all-time low and that's what they think is the problem. But like you said, it's shielded in collaboration versus, hey, everybody, you're all at risk because they're afraid that saying that will cause everybody to look for another job versus if you have a transparent organization and you're like, revenues are at an all-time low and you've built those relationships, it's a call in, to, in right? And that's what you, the hope is, is that because you've built the relationships, everybody tries to build revenue and build creative sources of revenue versus just come into the office so we can make sure that you're doing your job. I love what you just said there about being at risk because that is like things, when things are good, everyone seems to be okay. Oh, wow. And that's scary to admit things are at risk. I mean, for organizations that are employing, I think especially the larger the organization, what do you do when half of your people decide to turn over because they're feeling, uh-oh, it's not stable? Which, unfortunately, the healthcare organizations, are they're, they're in 50% turnover all the time. But, yeah, like, what do you do? How do you, how do you manage struggling revenues, then you lose frontline service providers, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> you go under. So that yeah. fear causes you to, cre I think the fear causes that shield to be created in the first place. Right. So just like you mentioned generations who, because of their experience, have grown more rigid. It's because of that trauma that they begin to create walls it's protection. Well, we have to protect this. How do we protect it? Well, create the wall. Don't let people really know what's going on. Well, you opened the T word. You opened the oh. door there, Chris. Chrissy, I'm going in. <laughs> so I know, you know, I wrote a book about the path to trauma informed leadership. Do you talk about, and it's a heavy word. I get that. It's a word that's misunderstood. And from what I'm hearing from talking to different people, the word trauma is sort of like Maybe misunderstood isn't the right word, but defined differently, even in the world of, of psychology, right? There, there isn't one set agreement, one set definition that everybody agrees upon. Yeah, they're, they're usually, I, when we have new therapists coming in and they're like, well, I asked them if I had trauma and I was like, great. Well, did you ask them what they think trauma is? Right. And they're like, no, because I thought they would just know. And I'm like, no, well, they 
most people consider it like a huge event. massive life, life event. Yeah. And even some life events, people don't consider as trauma. Whereas if you told me, I'd be like, yes, massive yeah. trauma. But yeah. others would be like, it's life. My mom died when I was eight. And then my dad had worked two jobs. And like, that's trauma. And they're like, oh, that's just life. Uh, hello, that was me for 48 years. And and so what you're saying, let's, so let's kind of bring this around, is there is an opportunity for us to learn about what trauma is and is not for our own self-awareness. Not to take out into the world and to get counseling in our workplaces. So can you no. tell me a little bit about, I, I, I know you don't have a, a program per se that, well, at least I don't think you do, about trauma-informed leadership, but I'm going to guess that all of your work does come come through the lens of being trauma-informed. Fair enough to say? Yeah. Well, I often get said, well, you're trying to make us therapists. And I'm like, no, trust me, you don't have the qualifications to be a therapist. Yeah. What I'm asking you, what we have to recognize is that the people around us are humans and we all have experiences, whether or not we think it's trauma or not. But gaining the understanding for ourselves of the experiences that we have and how that impacts us is part of our identity. And in order for us to create healthy boundaries, Health, you know, use our values in a healthy way, we have to be able to identify how trauma has impacted us and how we're trying to keep ourselves safe, how we're creating boundaries, shields, all of that. So it's all that foundational information on how do you even create the infrastructure? Well, part of that is our boundaries are, are definitely a part of trauma. And if we've had trauma, our boundaries go two ways. <laughs> yeah, they're either none or way too rigid. Yeah. So do you talk about trauma? Like when you kind of start your programs, like, do you like dig into big T, little T? Again, I know not everybody likes that. I find it's very, very helpful for the average person not in psychology. But like, do you do you teach people about what the word means and what it doesn't mean? Well, when we go through and talk about identity, we do talk about different stories and experiences that have got us to where we're at. And I think that those stories, we have to look at in how they impact our vision of ourselves and also the vision that other people have of us. And in what ways is that trauma or experiencing experience impacting us? So we do talk about trauma, but not necessarily in an educational way, more of in a, an experiential way. Right. So to sort of reflect on your own in your own way. Yeah, I, I didn't even know what the word meant at all. In fact, when the pandemic started, I kept saying to people, oh, this isn't my first pandemic. This isn't my first pandemic. I've never been through a pandemic. I wasn't here in the 1900s. So it, it was interesting how I and it's clearly obvious anyone who knows me and my history, like there was, there was trauma. I just, I thought it was this big, massive, huge event that left you, you know, in the ER somewhere or, you know, it just, it, to me, it was just this big, this big, big, huge thing. So I, I think it really, truly is an important aspect to creating the workplaces moving forward. Not the only one, but I think it is definitely important. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a creating more inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. As well. Now, can we talk before we wrap up? I'd love to talk a little bit about burnout 
because I know if you're working in the healthcare industry as much as you are, you're having to deal with a lot of burnout. So it's a reality. And how does Vibe help with burnout? Well, it, I think it helps if I'm just a frontline staff. One, it's going to help me know where my boundaries are and when I'm going to exit something that's not healthy for me. Mm. As a leader, it's going to help me create. If I'm able to do, read that on myself, it helps me read my team members. And if I'm functioning from that relational, authentic place, people are going to engage more. I'm going to have more information. I'm going to be able to make more decisions that are that are consistent with who I am and with who the team is within the organization. So you're balancing your own vibe with the, with other people's within the organization and being able to do that in a relational way, it helps prevent burnout. It's not gonna eliminate it because yep. systems are systems and right. we, we don't always have the power to make that kind of change. But I, I, I believe that if one leader does it, it spreads. Yep. So, the more that you do it, the more your organization, your or, more people in your organization will start to do it because they see that it's effective, and eventually the organization can see a shift. So, and then that's burnout and turnover over. Yeah. Well, and then you have people like yeah, like looking after themselves a little bit, a little bit earlier. I'm curious, did you have the acronym? Like, did you have the words first? For vibe or did you like have vibe and then work the words in because it's cool like it's like it's my vibe just when you were saying that I was like oh yeah there's like a real cool element to yeah. that no I had the words first okay and then it just yeah. like fell into vibe it was meant yeah. to be I was like what kind of words can I come up with here <laughs> and it so cool. happened that, that was what that was it like I'm pretty sure that was the only word that made any kind of sense Oh, well, I think it's, I think it's awesome. Now, I think, I think what you're setting up, Chrissy, with psychotherapists and working with large corporations, I really think it's a way of the future. And I hope to see more and more organizations do that. Is there like a certain aspect of your work? I know we talked at one point about leadership wellness, where... So I'm kind of asking you to look a little bit into your crystal ball. And I know it's not, you know, you're just kind of going to create an insight based on your experience. What, what do you see happening in really high functioning, healthy organizations from a leadership wellness perspective in the next five to 10 years? I think we've already seen some of them start to take the external parts of employees, like as in the parts of them that are not involved in the organization and prioritize them above the organization. So what we've seen is some organizations attempting to bring in-house wellness. So not just wellness programs, but on-site wellness, mm, doctors, right. therapists, uh, people who are inside the organization or contracted with the organization to provide that for staff during work hours. So I think we'll see more and more organizations, I think especially post-pandemic, especially ones that catch on very quickly to things, start to push the employee as an individual and support the things that they love and care about and are important to them before the needs of the organization. Yeah, yeah. And and I mean, the numbers, I don't have them on the top of my fingertips, but you know, the amount of money that's invested into recruiting and retention and 
recruiting and retention is astronomical. And so when I hear people say, oh, we can't afford that, I'm like, well, can you afford the turnover that you've got? I don't think, sometimes organizations don't realize the impact, the financial impact of turnover. You know, not just like the initial payout that they have to do when somebody leaves, but the hiring process, the the people required to do the recruiting, the training, the amount of time it takes for somebody to start performing at the same level that the person who just left was performing at. Yeah, it's 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 astronomical. It, It really is. It really is. Is there anything else, Chrissy, all this great work that you do and this, you know, organization that you are really, I think, shepherding this new way of being in an organization? Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to bring into the conversation? Well, I just like talking. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is there a topic that we glossed over that you'd like to circle back? But, you know, when I think of the people who listen to this, this show, they're, they're middle to upper level managers, really trying to do their best every day, trying to avoid burnout and probably feeling pulled in a lot of different directions. Oh, I think it's somebody who's been in that kind of position is to know that the experience of feeling like everything's moving all the time is normal. And it's not because you're doing something wrong or something's wrong with you, but it's the nature of the position. It's the nature of leadership to be constantly in movement. And sometimes it feels like there's no rest, like you're always dealing with something and I think it's important to f- have a clear idea and knowledge of who you are so that you can always come back to yourself. There's that I'm here and I'm stable and my relationships that I have are stable. And that's what allows me to navigate this ground that's always moving. Oh, I love it. I love it. We can't get stability everywhere, but just knowing where we can get it and holding exactly. on to that. Kind of like a tree in the middle of a windstorm. Yes. Always, I always tell people, if, if every system in your life is out of whack, you're going to have a mental health. That's mental health crisis. Yep. But as long as you can hold on to at least one of those systems being okay, being functional, you right. can usually get through anything. Right. Right. Ooh. Well, Chrissy, I'm very grateful. I don't even remember how we connected, if I'm being honest. I don't I was LinkedIn. LinkedIn I, I don't know what it was. On LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Now I like to end off all of these conversations by asking three questions from okay. my Evolve framework. Are you are you game to go there? I'm ready. All right. So the first question is about self awareness and I'm just gonna invite you to share something you're comfortable sharing about a time where you learned pretty hard something about yourself really elevated your self-awareness to a new level? Oh, it actually happened recently. And it was, I have, I know myself really well and I know my personality. And when there's a problem that I think should not be, I tend to react poorly. Like I I get angry. That's my initial response is anger. (laughs) And so I built these systems where I take what I'm feeling to a trusted person so I can be like, I'm so angry. And they know that this is how I am, right? And they're, they coach me on like, they, they talk me down off the ledge before I make a decision. But this last 
this last week, actually, I didn't do it because my person was, she was on vacation and I was like, I'm not going to bother her. You didn't have a backup. You didn't have a backup person. I have a backup. There was a flaw (laughs) on my system. I had no backup and I went directly to the staff to try and fix the problem. And my, I wasn't angry, but I was intensely cold. Like Mm. I tried to remove all of the emotion. So then I just came across as a jerk because I was like trying to be like factual and it blew up in my face. It it caused an issue that was much bigger than it was supposed to be. And I'm like, this is why you have to trust. You have to rely on the system. You have to fall back onto it. So you, are you holding triads for your backup person? (laughs) I know. Well, I ended up going to the team and I was like, I messed up. And they're like, so there's like, five of us that you could have called or talked to. And I'm like, mm. yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> so what's it, what did you learn out of that then? What are you going to do differently next time? I think for me, the next time is that I've got an entire team and it doesn't just have to be one person. And that's probably mm. also overwhelming for just one person to have to deal with and be like, what are, what are you talking about versus bringing it to an entire group? Right. And then, then not only helping me talk, talk out down out of it, but also to help me problem solve why this issue is even coming up in the first place. Right. Right. It comes back to relationships. Yeah. It's, yep. It's uh, the glue that holds everything together. Yep. Okay. So second question, what is a practice or ritual that you um, rely on to keep you regulated or to bring you back into a regulated state? Well, I would say there's a couple of things. One of them is I cook daily, every night. And people are like, well, aren't you tired? Yes, I'm tired. But I do it because it takes me out of my head and puts me back into something experiential. Like I'm feeling this, I'm sensing it. It's something strong um, that just helps me come down. But during the day, I actually am one of these people who carries the roller balls okay. full of essential oils. Oh. And just, I mean, you do trauma-informed work. So engaging the senses, senses brings yeah. you into the present moment. Yeah. And if I'm feeling like I'm going too fast, like I'm feeling overwhelmed, I pull it out, I sniff it. Nobody even knows. Usually I do it. You can't even see it if I'm talking to somebody on a camera. And I do it. It helps me just remember Oh. I'm here right now. Do you know what I love about this question? I think, I don't think I've had the same question. Maybe once or twice I've heard uh, the same answer, but I've never heard anybody share that. And it is, it's all about getting into that body and that body awareness to get you into the moment. Now, last question is around, more around connecting with people around us and something bigger than ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to share a song or a genre of music that just makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself. You're going to think it's funny, but I really, grunge music is something that I use to, and I don't know if it's like that darker emotional side of things that makes me feel more connected to people. But yeah, I, I don't know. There's something in dark emotion that makes me feel alive. That's probably from being a therapist. <laughs> well, and I think too, I mean, as somebody who grew up, you know, I was in university when grunge came on the scene, it kind of tapped into like this whole other, as you said, 
darker emotion that really wasn't mainstream before. So I think it had a really important place in music history. So now yeah. is there is there a band or a song or just we're just going to go with grunge? Grunge in general. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So Chrissy, if there's anybody listening and they're like, wow, I want to reach out and learn more about Vibe or all that you do, where could they find you? Yeah, I am ChrissySpeaks.com. You can contact me through my website. It is my speaking website, but I do consulting, coaching. You can contact me through there. All right. And it is Chrissy with a K. Yes, K-R-I-S-S-Y Speaks.com. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really glad that our paths have crossed. And who knows, maybe we'll bump into each other sometime in real life. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show again. This conversation with Chrissy is uh, another great reminder at how important it is for us as leaders to really understand what's going on inside of us and not allowing ourselves to get to burnout. You know, at the end of the day, the best we can do in all this change and this chaotic environment that we're having to operate in is to be as transparent as we can and to communicate and to get at the emotion behind what's going on. We can try to think that emotion doesn't matter, but it, it does. It drives how we act. And this is just yet another conversation to understand how important this is to leading from a place of integrity and leading from a place that's aligned to your values. We've got information for you in the show notes if you'd like to reach out and learn more about Chrissy's work. And also, you can always find me at carolynsuara.com if you'd like to learn more about my work and also about my book called Evolve, A Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership. And as always, if you like this program, please share it with a friend. Also, really appreciate it if you could like and subscribe on your favorite platform. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again soon.